There's a question that uh, each and every one of us probably asks at one time or another, and I want to start off with this question. It's, it's just a really kind of basic question of what's wrong with this world? Uh, and what's wrong with this world? What, what's the problem? Why are things the way they are? We ask this question because I think all of us, maybe not quite all of us, but most of us, if not all of us, have a sense that things are not the way they ought to be. We have a sense that we believe, we know, we understand that, that this is not the way it is, that it is supposed to be, that, that, that there's too much pain and, and too much hurt and too much brokenness and too much suffering, that there's too much cruelty, there's too much war, there, there's too many times when people are just attacking each other. And, and we look at all this brokenness in the world around us and we have to ask the question, what's wrong? What's wrong? And it's not just Christians who ask this question. The fact is, almost every person in, in, in the universe has asked this question. Why, why is it that things are the way they are? What is the problem? There are a lot of different answers. And I want to start off just by giving you some possible answers to kind of get you thinking of how different people have answered this. I'm not going to give a full survey, and I'm not going to talk about these in any depth, so I'm not trying to be unfair to these sorts of things. But, but just to kind of get you thinking and, and, and seeing how, really, this is one of those questions we're continually asking. Uh, there are some folks, and, and this is a very small minority, but some people say, well, what's wrong with the world? The problem is, is that we think there's a problem. There really isn't a problem. There really is nothing wrong, but, but we just think there's a problem. If you've ever talked with somebody with a, who's a Christian scientist or if you've gone and, and read any Mary Baker Eddy stuff, um, it, it's, it, one of the things she does, even though it has Christian in the name, what, what she basically taught is that the material world isn't real. So you may think you have a broken leg, but you don't have a leg, so it can't be broken. <laughs> you may think you're hungry, but you don't have a stomach, so you're nearly not hungry. And, and so the problem is you're thinking. The world is fine because there is no material world, but the problem is you're thinking. As I say, there aren't many of us who probably go that route, although sometimes when I hear some people talk about Christianity and kind of say, well, everything is just great because God is in control, and it's sort of this, are you pretending? What's, what do you mean? The, the fact is it's just obvious to me that there is brokenness in this world. So that's not a huge one. Um, some people say it's poor education, and, and I mean here more, more in the home. I mean that we, we've been trained wrong. I'm not picking on teachers with this, Okay. What I mean is that uh, some people will say, you know, we're born good, but then our parents or our culture or our community teaches us to be racist. We're born to share, but, but somehow our, our community teaches us to, to, to hold on to our possessions. We're born to be good, and we do all these things, but the problem is we're formed wrong. And if we could just change the formation, if we could change the training, if we could train the edu- change the education, then we, could, then we could make everything okay, right? The, the problem is, is people have just been taught wrong. That's, that's where the difficulty lies. Others say it's the system. The system, right? It's, it's government. That's where the problem is. That, that's what messes everything up. Or it's big business. It's, it's the system that does this. A number of folks would say it's religion. Richard Dawkins, right, in his, in his book, The God Delusion, kind of says, you know, the problem is, 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 is people who are religious, whether it's Muslims or Christians or whoever it is, Jewish people, they, it's religion that causes us to hate each other. And if we could just get rid of religions, then we'd be okay. This is one that makes it into some popular culture stuff. I know I'm aging myself here, but some of you at least will remember the song Imagine by John Lennon. Huh? Imagine by John Lennon. I'll try not to sing it, but it's... I, I, I love the song, even though I think it's just dead wrong. But, but this, you know, this is how we go. You know, imagine there's no heaven. Got to sing it with an English accent, right? It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. See, this song, what Lenin is saying is, the problem is you think there's a heaven. The problem is you think there's a hell. And imagine if we could all just let go of that. If we could just live for today, everything would be okay. 
Second stanza, imagine there's no countries. See, if we could just get rid of countries, if we could just get rid of that sense, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. Nobody would kill each other if there were no countries and no religion too, right? Let's throw that out too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one, right? Imagine no possessions. He had some, you know, if we could just, that's the problem, private property. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man and woman. He was still sexist in this time. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Right? I mean, the, the song, and, and that's why I, I want to just challenge you, and especially, I mean, if you're younger, listen to the music. So often, themes of television shows, of movies, is trying to say, what's wrong with the world? John Lennon was saying, what's wrong with the world is that we have these countries, that we have religion. The problem with the world is that we have possessions and all these things. He, he's saying that, you know, a private property. Again, kind of Karl Marx has said, that's where the problem is. It's private pop property. Others will say, no, the problem is communism. It's people not giving anybody private property. It's, it's, and, and you get an idea there. I want to just stop for a second. I got one more, but before I get to it, those last five, one thing I want you to notice about them, and we're going to come back to this later on, but notice in those last five, not the first one, but kind of the first one, but the last five, the, 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 the thing is people are good, and it's something outside of us that makes us bad, right? We're, we're good, and, and, and we are by nature just, we, if, if we could be left alone to our own hearts, if we could just develop, I mean, kids share, kids are wonderful, and if we could just teach them how to develop that for the rest of their life, it's something outside of us that causes the problem. And there are a lot of people who answer in that way. One other thing, and it, this is kind of the other side of it, um, an, an answer that is becoming more and more popular, and again, it gets really complex, but I want to throw it out there. But, but there's some people who would suggest that, well, this is just the way we've evolved. We have evolved this way. The drive to survive is the deepest drive there is. I, I've got a good friend who, who would believe this. I mean, he argues that no human being ever does anything except for out of selfish motives. Because we're evolved that way. It's survival of the fittest. And the reason, and I said to him, well, you know, what about the guy who throws himself on a grenade? He's just trying to be famous. He said, every desire you have is selfish. And we've just evolved this way. There's a whole branch of, of evolutionary thinking that's called evolutionary psychology. And they, they argue, again, that some of this is, is we've been hardwired for this. By billions of years of evolution, we have been hardwired to be selfish. We have been hardwired to have wars. We've been hardwired to attack others. And if you stop and think about it, that's a pretty depressing thought because there's not a lot of hope, right? Lyle Watson is one of these guys. I've just read quotes from this book. But he wrote a book, Dark Nature, A History of Evil. And, and what he argues in there is just that we shouldn't expect people to behave any differently. We, we, we shouldn't, you know, it's not just, and, and again, not all evolutionists, atheistic evolutionists teach this, not all evolution, but kind of saying, you know, we, why would we think that all of a sudden we're going to start being nice when nature is not nice? Why would we think we're going to do this? And, and, and in fact, another guy who, um, who, who writes this way, um, his name is Steve Pinker, writes in the New York Times, but, but he talks about saying, you know, the fact is a mother killing her child might be just hardwiring in her brain. It's not an act we can declare necessarily good or bad. But she is thrown to survive. And, and, and if these children are not the ones she thinks can carry on her line, 
then, then that's just what she's wired to do. So what's wrong with the world is, is that we've evolved this way. Again, it's a really complex thing, and, but, but it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I raise all of this because what I want to look at this morning with us is, is the Bible's answer, and, and the first part of it comes in Genesis 3. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis, and, and now we're up to chapter 3, and this is where we start to answer the question, where we start to learn what's wrong with the world. Let's kind of set it up first, because in order to understand what happens in 3, we've got to, again, remind ourselves of some other things. First of all, in Genesis 1 and 2, one of the key things that we focused on, that we talked about, is that we didn't start out this way, okay? What the Bible teaches is that we didn't start out wrong. We didn't start out crooked. We didn't start out bent, but we started out good. Again, seven times in, in, in Genesis 1, God says it's good. And, and, and in Genesis 1.31, it's actually God saw all that he had made, and he said it is very good. God created it's good. Last week we talked about that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, but God created Eve, and at the end of it, they're naked and unashamed, and they're in the garden, and everything is good. And, and I want to just suggest that we recognize that this is really good news. This is really good news. Because again, and this is where I want to, you know, I would say we challenge an, an atheistic evolutionary kind of standpoint that says, hey, we've just evolved this way. I say, no, we didn't. We, were, we came from much better stock than this. We came from, from good, and we fell, and we, we messed up, and we're sinners. I know that now, but we came from this, and God can get us back there. It's not, this, I, I think, again, just remembering that gives us great hope to recognize and to remember that we are not naturally evil and selfish. God did not create us this way. God created us to give and to love and to serve and to be a part of the dance of community where we put others first and where we experience life that way. That's how God created us. That's our natural state, so to speak, before sin. No, we'll talk about a new natural state. But, but I think, again, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we come from good stock. We are created in God's image. We are of great value to God. And, and when we talk about sin, we must never forget that fact, that we still bear the image of God, all right? So, we, we didn't start out wrong, and, and then the second thing we need to know kind of in preparation is that God gave one basic prohibition to Adam, okay? There was one thing Adam couldn't do, and uh, I want to think about this for a little bit with you, and, and I think this is kind of fascinating um, stuff to kind of think about, but some of you may know, uh, if you were with us, you, you might have picked it up. We didn't talk a lot about it, but in the Garden of Eden, there are two special trees, when God created the Garden of Eden, it's very clear that he created two special trees. Genesis 2, verse 9. It says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, the first tree, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So in the garden, there were two special trees. The first one, and I'm just going to touch on this one briefly, is the tree of life. Now, let me tell you what I've always believed until recently is that this tree was a tree that gave eternal life, immortal life, that once Adam and Eve ate from this tree, they would never, ever die again. That's not really what the text says because they could eat from this tree. There's only one tree they couldn't eat from, and there's every reason to assume that Adam and Eve were eating from the tree of life. And, 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 and the, we'll come back to why this might be important in two weeks, but, but, but one of the things I think we can understand, and again, this is just always interesting for me to recognize all the assumptions I bring into reading the Bible, but it's probably much more an idea of a tree of ongoing life, that as long as they ate of it, they would stay alive. But if they were removed from it, and we'll come to that in two weeks, if they were removed from it, then they would die. 
And so it's not a tree of immortal life. It's not a tree of eternal life. It's a tree that gives ongoing life, perpetual life. Uh, They'd have to keep eating from it. And so, again, there's no reason to think they weren't eating from it. The only tree they can eat from is the next tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the one Adam and Eve are not allowed to eat of it. Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free. Again, God's first word is freedom. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. That would include the tree of life. Okay, you are tree, free, to eat, free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Okay? So they're free, they're free to eat. Boy, free eating tree should not be trying to say the same sentence. They're free to eat from any tree, except for just this one. Every other one they can eat from, okay? They're not allowed to eat from it. Now, one of the questions that, that comes to my mind is, why not? Why not? What's wrong with eating from this tree? What is the problem? Why shouldn't they eat from this tree? I mean, knowledge is a good thing. The book of Proverbs uses the same word and says, seek knowledge. Give all that you have to seek wisdom. Seek understanding. Seek discernment. Knowledge is certainly a good thing. And don't we try to teach our kids right from wrong? I mean, what's wrong with the knowledge of good and evil? Isn't that a good thing? And it's interesting because you get some suggestions later on that there is some goodness to the knowledge of good and evil. It's only mentioned three other times. The tree is never mentioned again, but knowledge of good and evil is only mentioned three other times. I'm going to show you one, and the other two are kind of, kind of similar, all right? 2 Samuel 19, verses 34 and 35. What's going on in this story is David has been the king in Israel, and his son, uh, one of his sons has rebelled against him, and David had to leave Jerusalem and go across the Jordan River. While he was on the other side of the Jordan, he was staying out with some people who took care of him and so on. When the rebellion was done and David was going to go back, he invited some of these people who had helped him. One of them, a guy by the name of Barzillai, uh, Barzillai invites him to come back and live in the palace, to come back and be with him. This is how Barzillai responds. Bar- Barzillai answered the king, How many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Now, 100 is that, the new 80 or whatever, so don't, you, if you're 80, don't feel old. He says, I'm now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? Can, can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my Lord? And that sentence that I've underlined there, can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what is not? That is, can I know good and evil? Can I tell that? And, and the implication, I think, here is, is he's getting older and he can't anymore. That, that he's not, it would be helpful if he could tell the difference, if he could help out David in this sense, if he could, uh, you know, do this in, in, in such a way. And, and he says, I, I can't do that anymore. I'm not as sharp as I used to be, and so I can't be of that much help. I can't tell you what's good and bad. I can't provide you that advice. The other two times this is used, it's used of kids who are not yet, they don't have knowledge of good and evil yet. They're not mature. And so there seems to be something of saying, well, well, you know, I mean, this is something that you get when you're mature and, and you're, you know, you do it. So, so why would it have been wrong? Why would it have been wrong? What was the problem with eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? This is one of those places where I think we have to recognize and do this over and over again that the Bible just doesn't clearly tell us. <laughs> okay? 
God doesn't say, now here's exactly why this is. He just says it's out of bounds, okay? He says, if you do it, you're going to mess things up. If you do it, you will die. But he doesn't say why they will die. And we're not clearly told. And, and as I've been trying to say through this whole series, and as I try to do all the time, we've we got to answer the questions the Bible is answering. We've got to ask those questions. We might have really interesting questions, but if the text doesn't answer it, then we don't really know what it's saying, and we have to be really careful. Now, there are some hints given later on, and, and, and so on. So I want to throw out a couple of possibilities, but in a sense, I want to say, don't get too tied up in any of this, okay? I think it's a fascinating question, and I might well ask Jesus when I get to heaven someday and say, so what was it? But the fact is, it's simply told we're not. That's the most important part. But there are a couple of things, a couple of possibilities and, and, uh, that a lot of people put out. One is that this is a knowledge that's reserved only for God, that there's kind of the potency of it, the level of it that they would get from this tree. If they would eat from the fruit of this tree, they, they would experience a knowledge that as human beings, they were not ready or not able, really. It's not just ready. It's, it's not able to understand. It's, it's like giving just too much to somebody, and they just can't handle it. The Bible makes it clear that God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Romans 11, the Apostle Paul says this, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And, and so there are some who suggest, and it could be that this is just the, the potency of this tree is too much. The potency of this knowledge. We as human beings have been created in God's image and we can figure out some stuff, but there's a certain place, and this is absolutely true, where we just say, I can't get it, but I trust God does. I mean, there are certain questions that we ask, certain whys, and part of the answer, and it can be frustrating, but part of the answer is, you know what, I just, I, I, I don't have the capacity. I'm a human being. I'm a creature. I don't have the pa- capacity to understand everything, okay? But I know God does, and I'm going to trust his thoughts, and I'm going to just kind of, it, it means, doesn't mean we don't ever ask or struggle or whatever, but, but part of it is that. So it could well be that maybe it's knowledge reserved only for God. Another option, and this is one John Walton, who I've mentioned before, suggests, is that it's, it's knowledge Adam's not ready for. It's knowledge that Adam is not ready for. It could be that this was the sort of thing, that it's not bad in itself, but Adam and then Eve, as she joins him in, in, a, in a little bit, um, but Adam and Eve, they're just not ready for it. They, they needed some more time. Again, Walton compares it to, uh, you know, having a, uh, imagine you got a Corvette and, and you got a five-year-old. Um, is it wrong for your son to drive the car? No. But he's not ready at five, right? I mean, it's not that the thing itself is wrong. It's that the timing is wrong. That, that there's just not enough maturity there. And it could be, and, and there are some reasons in the text that kind of suggest that it could be, that, that eventually Adam and Eve would have been able to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, but but it, they didn't have the context for it. They're like a five-year-old who, who's, who's going to jump into the Corvette and, and just, they don't have the, it, it, you just know it's going to go bad. And that's why God says, don't do this. So I, those are, but again, the, the ultimate thing is, is just, the bottom line is God said, don't. There's only one thing. God gave one basic prohibition to Adam that then carried on to Eve, all right? So that sets us up for chapter three, all right? Then along comes the serpent. Along comes the serpent. Genesis three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say 
You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Along comes the serpent. Again, immediately, if you're like me, we have a lot of questions. You know, everything is good. Where's the serpent come from? Did, did Eve know the serpent was questionable? Was the serpent Satan? Uh, could the serpent actually talk? Could all the animals talk? Why didn't Eve respond with, whoa, a talking snake? Right? I mean, that's, that's one of those questions. Uh, I mean, why wasn't she shocked by that? Did she have any? Se- there are all kinds of questions. But once again, there's a lot we're not told. At this point, we're not told. Now, later on, I think from Scripture, we can say, yes, this is Satan. And, and, and later on in Scripture, we can learn some things about where Satan came from and all that. But at this point, all we get is that there's a serpent in the garden. And the serpent is coming to talk to Adam and Eve. What we do know is that the serpent is more crafty. The serpent is more crafty. And and I think part of what that means, and again, later on in the book of Proverbs, craftiness is said, seek craftiness. It's not all bad. There's a wisdom here. But what he does is he knows about deception. And and in some ways, again, I'm not suggesting this happens, but again, I I think in some ways, as we reflect on it, he, he knows good and evil. But what he knows is how to confuse them. What he knows is how to manipulate them. And there's an interesting contrast going on here. In Genesis 2.25, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. We said they were vulnerable. They were just, they, they, they were transparent, right? They were completely transparent. That's the word there in 2.25. The very next verse, 3.1, crafty is only one letter different. And, and, and so Adam and Eve are vulnerable and transparent. The serpent is deceptive. And, 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 and in a sense, he knows more. But it's not good knowledge. It's not good knowledge. Again, later on, we can talk about where the serpent came from. But here, all of a sudden, Adam and Eve are there. And, and, and one of the things to recognize is that Adam and Eve don't know they are in danger. And part of what we do as we go through this is to recognize that this story, we are somehow in Adam and Eve, but it's also a story that repeats itself in our lives over and over again. And so part of what I want you to do is to recognize that, that one of the reasons we fall into sin is because we don't understand we're in danger. The tempter doesn't come to us and announce that he's the tempter. The tempter doesn't come. He comes as a friend who wants to help us. And Adam and Eve don't know they are in danger. One little quick sidetrack here. Um, I, I say Adam and Eve here. Again, for me, most of the time when I've pictured this story, I pictured Eve and the serpent talking, and Adam is someplace else, right? He's in his man cave. He's doing whatever. Adam is someplace else, and then Eve eats and brings him the apple, right? Or brings him whatever the fruit is. Um, and, and so that's kind of how I've always pictured it. Again, if we look at the text slowly, it seems like Adam was there all the time. Just jump ahead to Genesis 3, verse 6. She also gave some to her husband. Spoiler alert, she's going to eat it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. I think Adam was there all along. I I think Adam was there. Why the serpent speaks directly to Eve, I don't know. But but he's he's with her. She doesn't have to bring it to him. He's right there. She speaks, he doesn't. Don't know why, but it just is interesting to notice. Along comes the serpent. And, and, and this is, again, how temptation works. The serpent starts with a question. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God... Now, just real quick, I'm sorry, Dad, i got to do this one. Do you remember? Some of you were here, and you'll remember. If you don't, I apologize. But we said in chapter 1, God is God. 
And it meant God is the creator, the big. And in chapter 2, God is always the Lord God. And we said relationship, closeness, Yahweh, the one who is in, in connection with us. And so here we get. Now, the serpent was more crafty than the Lord God had made. What did the serpent say? He said to the woman, did God. First time, we're back to God. And so the serpent is creating distance. The serpent is starting to push it away a little bit. Say, he's just that creator God. He's just that big God. He's not in fellowship with you. He's not in relationship with you. And part of what happens when we sin is, is we're kind of saying, God, we don't think that you're close to us. So Anyway, sorry, I, there's too much here. Um, so did God say, you must not free, eat from any tree in the garden? And again, the, the word any. Did, you, did, did you, God really say you must not eat from any? So he starts with a question. Again, what's significant is he doesn't attack God directly. That's not how temptation comes into our lives. The serpent doesn't come into the situation and say, you know, God is just lousy. God is trying to keep you down. God is the man. God is the system. God is the problem. And he, no. No, I imagine, when I think about this scene, I imagine that, that the serpent comes and he's really, he's really kind of just enjoying the creation. I picture the serpent breathing in all the smells, looking at all the beauty, and then he just kind of turns to Eve, turns to the woman and says, all this stuff is so beautiful. Did God really say you couldn't have any of it? Did God really say that? How, how could he do that? Now, it's not a question of did he say it. He, he knows he said But what he's saying is, you know how it is when somebody, when, when somebody makes a remark, you know, where you say, did, did Ron really say that from the pulpit? Uh, right? You're not saying, I, you know I did. It's like, I just can't believe you did. That's just way out of line. That's inappropriate. That's the kind of thing. Really, did God say God say that? You see, what the serpent is about is he, he, he's about creating an attitude first, not an action. We tend to always tie sin to actions. But by the time we get to an action, the sin has already been committed. I want to suggest that the, 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 the action is just sort of the last little straw. Yeah, it matters. But it's the attitude that we have, and that's where the serpent is starting. Just saying, you know, really? Really? You see, he's, he's planting a seed. Why, why would a good God not let you eat any of this why why would he keep this from you that just seems so sad to me that God created all this stuff and it could make you happy and why would your parents do that to you why would they keep you from what makes you happy are they really good do they really care about you and I want to suggest that is the first of two keys to where sin is we start to doubt. And we ask, is God really good? Does God really want what's best for us? And we doubt God's goodness. For me, I think one of the ways this plays out is when I think about obedience, too often, you know how I think about it? I think about it like eating oatmeal. I'll do it because it's probably best, but I don't like it. We have been convinced by our culture. We have been convinced by our culture that being good is boring and being bad is joyful. That being good is, is, is kind of just second. And I'll do it because God says I have to, and I'll do it because I don't want to be embarrassed. But man, if I really wanted to have life, then I'd go outside. It. And what are we saying? God, I don't really think you're good. <laughs> God, I don't think you really want what's best for me. St. Augustine, um, was a, he was a player before he became a Christian. He was a ladies' man, all right? And, and, and after he became a Christian, he, he says that he prayed one night. He had a date, and he prayed one night, Lord, make me sexually pure, but not today. 
not today, after my date. How many times haven't we prayed stuff like that? Because really, the good stuff is all the stuff God has said is out of bounds. And that's where the fun is. And we doubt God's goodness. And that's right where the tempter wants us to be, all right? We doubt God's goodness. Now, interestingly, Eve corrects the serpent, okay? Genesis 3, 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, okay? It's not all the trees. We may eat from the trees, okay? But we can't eat from this tree, and you must not touch it or you will die. (laughs) Did you notice what she added there? You must not touch it or you'll die. She goes further than God goes. And again, you start to see questioning God's goodness. You start to see. It's like a 16-year-old. When that 16-year-old's, we're picking on Corvette owners. So when that 16-year-old says, hey, can I drive the Corvette, Dad? You say, no. Oh, so I'll never get to touch it. I'll never get to touch it. No, I didn't say you'd never get to touch it. I didn't say you'd never get to drive. I just said right now is not the time. But what do we do? Oh, so I can't even do this. So I'll never have this. So I have to be miserable all the time. So my life is horrible, right? And, 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 and can't even go near it. Can't even touch it. Because you really don't want what's best for me. And we're doubting God's goodness. And, and, and notice something. Even though she is in a perfect place, Eve is focused on what she can't have. On the one thing that God won't let her have. And if you are like me, you know what it is. When we feel like that thing that's out of bounds is what I really need, pretty soon you can't see anything else. This is a peach orchard from California, and if there's any forbidden fruit, it's not from West Michigan, it's from California. Imagine this is the garden. Front and center is the tree. You know what happened to Eve at this point? It's starting to go black and white everywhere else. Everything else is just kind of starting to fade out. And the longer she chews on it, the darker it gets. Pretty soon, all she can see is that one tree. How could anybody eat from those black and white trees? How could anybody find joy in that? How could anybody be happy married to the person I'm married to? How could anybody be happy living in the house I'm living in? How could anybody be happy with the gifts that I've got? How can, and all we can see is what we don't have, and we become obsessed about that. We be, and everything else, even though, even though in reality, this is what God gives us, even though in reality, there are still, and I'm not saying your life is perfect. I know that, okay? You know. But we can no longer see the colors, and all we see is this. All we see is what we can't have. And we want it more and more and more. We can't even touch it. We can't even touch it. No, it's just one tree. But it's in, in a sense, for Eve, it's the only tree that's in the garden. She is in the most perfect place in the world. And she can't see anything. That's a heart that's ready to fall. The serpent now corrects Eve about God. Genesis 3, verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. No, God's wrong about this one. Like it starts with a question, starts to create that question about God, and now he starts to move in and say, you know what, God is just wrong. God is just wrong, for God knows that when you eat from it, here's the clincher, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And you know what, some of what the, the Satan is saying here, what the serpent is saying here, is exactly right. 
Because when they, if their eyes are opened and they do know some good and evil, it's just that it messes everything up. Whether it was to forbidden for them forever, whether it's just only for a time, it's going to, but in a sense, everything the serpent says here is true. Yeah, you're going to be like God. But we weren't created to be in God's position. We were not created to decide what's right and wrong. I'm not smart enough. And neither are you. But the serpent says, don't you see? God is limiting you. He's keeping you from the good life. You will not die. You will be like God. And that's the other part of the key sin. We doubt God's goodness and then we put ourselves in God's place. We put ourselves in God's place. You say, God, I know better than you. I know what will make my life better. I know what will bring me joy. I know what I'm ready for. You don't understand. And again, if you think of an adolescent, a 16-year-old kid who is convinced that he can drive across the country in dad's Corvette, he's just saying, don't you see? You're not. And I see God's heart just watching his happen going, please trust me. Please trust me. Don't try to take my place. We put ourselves in God's place and even Adam say uh, no to God, and they eat. And, and again, the order here, I think, is significant. First they say no to God, then they eat. Jesus always talks about hearts instead of actions, right? It's, it's our hearts. Now, the actions are not unimportant, but it's the attitudes where it all starts. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing for the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's the word that's used in Proverbs all the time, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Even Adam, say no to God, and the trap is sprung. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. They've got wisdom, and it kills them. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Sometimes the worst thing for God to say to us, you can have what you want. So when we think about answering the question, what's wrong with the world? The biblical answer is we are. That we, in Adam and Eve, have rebelled against God. That's where it comes from. That's why it's the way it is. Now, there's a huge question here of how are we in Adam and Eve, and, 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 and so on. I don't know, but the Bible says somehow I was there. Somehow you were there. Somehow they did, and I did what they did along with them. But it's also a pattern that repeats over and over again. But we are the ones who have doubted God's goodness, and then we've put ourselves in God's place. A couple of things to note. First, we are no longer naturally good. We are the problem. No system can save us. This is where I want to come back to my dear friend John Lennon. Love the song Imagine. This is where I say, John, it's just not that case. It, it, it's not the case that if I had a perfect system, then I'd be okay. It's not the case that if we got rid of countries or possessions of all of those things. You know why? Because you can put me in a perfect system, but as soon as I enter it, I bring my sinful nature along with me. I bring that along with me. This is what Perkins was talking about last week when he said, the Democrats can't save us, and the Republicans can't save us, and the communists can't save us, and the free market capitalists can't save us, and, and there's no system that can save us because once we put a human being into it, we bring sin into it. Now, the systems also have sin, and we have to worry and care about them, but, but what we need to understand, and, and this is one of the things I love about Perkins, yeah, he cares deeply about social justice, but he's recognized 
That the heart of the matter is our hearts. The heart of the matter is that we've rebelled against God. The heart of the matter is that there's human sin. And it's not just changing our environment that will change things. If things are going to change, the only option is for God to change our hearts. Okay? And so we are no longer naturally good. We are bent, crooked, now, now still of great value. And that leads me to the next thing. We are better and worse than the world says. The second thing to know about, we are better and worse than the world says. And, and, and I think in order, just if we can grasp this, this will help us with a lot of our self-esteem issues. That we are better and worse. We are created in God's image of unbelievable value, of unbelievable love, that even in our sin, God still loves us. We're going to start with that next week. But even in our sin, God still loves us. He still reaches out to us. We are so amazingly created in God's image, and yet we are so flawed and fallen and sinful. I love the way C.S. Lewis does this in his book, Prince Caspian. It's towards the end of the book, and, and Prince Caspian is being put back on the throne, all right? Prince Caspian's being put back on the throne, and he's learned some things about his family, and they're not good things. He's learned that there are some really rotten people in his parents, grandparents, in, in the family tree. And he says this, I was wishing I came from a more honorable lim- lineage. And then Aslan responds, You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. That should be, excuse me, be content. I wish we could all get that straight. You are created in the image of God. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and that means that we have enough dignity and honor to lift us up when we are down. We are also sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and that gives us enough humility to recognize we need God's help. So what's wrong with the world? We are. We are what is wrong with the world. And what we're going to see in the weeks and the months ahead is that we cannot fix ourselves. But I cannot leave us there. I'm just going to mention it and then we'll be done. God can fix us and does fix us in Jesus Christ. This is why we need Jesus. We were created so good. And then we sinned. And Jesus came to give us new hearts and to live in us and to send his spirit to be in us. And we can be restored. And we can experience what it is to love. What we need is not a new system. We still care about systems, but what we need are new hearts. And the good news is Jesus is in that business. Let's pray together. Father, we don't like to think that we are what's wrong. We like to blame others. We like to point the finger at the systems and at whatever it is. And Lord, there are a lot of ways we've been hurt. We're not denying that. Lord, we need Jesus. Thank you that you didn't give up on us. Thank you that you sent your son to die on a cross so that we could have new hearts. Forgive us, renew us, and fill us with your spirit so that we can begin, begin once again to experience life in the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing? Once again, following our, our service, there will be some people from the prayer room there to meet and talk with you. If you'd like to meet with them, that'd be great. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may you, may you know that God can change our hearts. Go in his grace. Amen.